I think today is a significant day in Canada. We'll have to ask our native Canadian. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and that native Canadian, Laura Johnston. Is there something about St. Nicholas Day in Canada? No, it's more of a Dutch tradition. And my grandparents came over from Holland right after World War II. Um, And so... It's just a Dutch tradition. And, and I think at the holidays, it's like, whatever you can do to amp it up, like, I'm <laughs> I'm going to do it, right? I mean, I mean, St. Nicholas is going to do it. So he did visit our house overnight. We put out the shoes. And your kids got stuff? They did. They got uh, hot chocolate balls and some kind of, like, red and green gummy blocks thing. And, yeah, some chapstick. Also, so very- this, is, this is why my kids wanted to do this. <laughs> I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. They just want to be a part of everyone's holiday tradition so they can just maximize their their getting and games. I, I do think that, and I wrote a column about this, that since the pandemic, we have all like looked forward to holidays as something to embrace and bring us together and shine a light. And so I think, you know, I never celebrated half the things I, <laughs> I am now. But now you have a Dealey Bobber headset for every holiday on the calendar. <laughs> I don't have one for Cinco de Mayo. I feel like I need some margarita uh, bobber. <laughs> okay. But we are having a holiday party. I do have my antlers in my bag. So, yes, antlers All and right. sequins. Well, we can't get to that until we get to this. Let's begin. What? Is Dave Joyce thinking? Did he really say on Sunday that even though Donald Trump has advocated terminating the U.S. Constitution, Joyce would support Trump if he were the Republican candidate for president in 2024? Does Joyce understand that a president's oath is to support and defend the Constitution just like a congressperson? Layla, this one really surprised me. I know Trump says lots of crazy things. But he's a former president and wannabe president who said, I think we should terminate the Constitution. That's a new level of abolishing the government to be a dictator. It is. So for those who missed it over the weekend on Truth Social Media, which is Trump's media social media platform, he continued to press this big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him. And he wrote, quote, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations and articles, even those found in the Constitution. So good Lord. So after that, Dave Joyce appears on TV in an interview with ABC's George Stephanopoulos and says that he would still support Donald Trump in 2024 if that's who the Republicans nominate. Joyce really downplayed the significance of Trump's deplorable suggestion that we should terminate the Constitution to install him as president. He called it Trump's fantasy because he doesn't really have the power to suspend the Constitution. And he said, you can't really take every one of Trump's tweets or crazy statements seriously. Yeah. You know, we all have become numb to Trump's outlandish statements. But that's, I think, the purpose. You just keep going further and further. If you abolish the Constitution, you abolish the abolishment of slavery. You abolish the the rights that are in the Constitution. A lot of Donald Trump's followers would love that because they're white supremacists. This is one where I would have thought Dave Joyce, who seems to be one of the more reasonable mm-hmm. people in Congress, would have said, 
Yes, this is deplorable beyond words. He should never be president again if he says stuff like that. If you look, other Republicans did that. They did say, whoa. Right. I mean, they all took the same oath. The whole basis of our democracy and our government is that document. And the minute you start to say it, it doesn't stand. You erase our whole government, which is what Donald Trump wants. Right. And Congressman Mike Turner from Dayton also, he made some, some on-air comments about this situation when he appeared on CBS's Face the Nation, and he played it much better than Joyce did. He said he vehemently disagrees with what Trump said, and he described it as one of a thousand statements from Trump he disagrees with. He said he thinks a statement like like the one Trump made will stick with people as they evaluate Trump's candidacy. And, you know, he said he was shocked and disgusted and nauseated by Trump's hosting white supremacist and Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes and and uh, Kanye West at his Mar-a-Lago estate, too. So he definitely came out strong against Trump uh, this past weekend. But Joyce is really surprising mm-hmm. because he was one of the, the first Republicans to affirm that Biden had won the 2020 election fair and square and the first to reiterate his allegiance to the Constitution. And he continued to stand firm against the big lie, publicly stating that the election was not stolen from Trump. So this is just really out of left field mm-hmm. for him. You, you can't just toss this off. I mean, this is the chance for the Republican Party to be done with him. He basically said, let's dispense with our government and install me as the dictator. Yes. This is their chance. He should never have a position of authority again. That's the way he's thinking. That's what January 6th was about. If the folks in January 6th, who he exhorted to violence, had gotten a hold of Mike Pence or Nancy Pelosi, he would have declared martial law and installed himself. That's what this has all been about. And Joyce should have said it. I, we tried to give him the chance to walk it back yesterday. He could have said, look, I hadn't seen what he said. It hit me cold. Of course, I'm dead set against that kind of thinking. And I won't support somebody that says that. And he hid. He hid away, never called back. He was in his little cubby hole, you know, hiding out. This is a moment of cowardice. It's time to stand up. I wonder if Republicans are hedging their bets here and trying to figure out how many of their fellow Republicans actually agree with Trump. Because they're so, I mean, they're so, the fringe has gotten so big. Yeah, that's a scary thought. I know, if, but if it, you're you saying know, that there's a bunch of people that think we should dispense with the yes, Constitution. Don't you think that's true? Don't you think that there is such a huge contingent of people? I mean, Donald Trump wouldn't feel so brazen, you know, brazen enough to run again for president if he didn't think that he had people who felt the same way. <laughs> But you got to count on people like Dave Joyce to stand up. It's time to stand the hell up and say, no, this far and no farther. You have crossed the line. We're done with you. It's time to move on. I'm still stunned that Dave, look, I would have expected this from Max Miller or Jim Jordan. I mean, Jim Jordan is the biggest Trump accolade in the country, but not Dave Joyce. I mean, this is a surprise. No, no. He used to be my congressman. Um, You know, I was drawn out of his district this year. But, um, you know, here's a man who was supporting recreational marijuana and understands, you know, how marijuana convictions can affect a person's life. That doesn't sound like a far right Republican to me. And he's been moderate. We had a great endorsement interview with him. We endorsed him. I mean, so, yeah, I'm just I'm shocked. I also wonder, even if you think it's a fantasy and you say we can't pay attention to all of Trump's tweets, why would you support someone like that for president? Why would you say, yeah, he's living in a fantasy world, but we should 
we should support him anyway. I mean, that makes no sense. This is the kind of thing that if you don't stand up to it immediately, people get numb to it and it becomes a possibility. You have to say, absolutely not. That is the very basis of what this country stands for. And he didn't do it. I I hope we hear from him again. Uh, Again, he hit out. He would not call back. Can I can I just say oh I just wanted to add one thing that I was kind of got chills when I read the Jim Jordan quotes in this story because you know Jordan offered his full-throated endorsement of Trump and said he'll do whatever he can to help Trump win in 2024 which should really scare the heck out of us because Jordan will be heading up the House Judiciary Committee and the opportunities to abuse that position of power to benefit Trump's candidacy are endless so just yeah, wanted but to know Jordan that. is the cartoon character buffoon of Ohio. It's not the same as Joyce. I, you know, Jordan has been doing this stuff all along. I can't believe he keeps getting elected. He's he's a joke. He doesn't stand for anything. He's basically just taken his entire personhood and put it into the hands of Donald but Trump. What I'm saying is that he's going to use the House Judiciary Committee as a sideshow during yeah. Trump's candidacy. That's Side that's sh- what he means. The sideshow is the definition of Jordan. (laughs) It's today in Ohio. After years of back and forth, is Ohio going to have a photo ID rule for people when they vote? Lisa, it's back. I think it's going to come down to the wire, though. There's been a lot of last minute changes and revisions to a whole host of voter bills. But this particular bill is Senate Bill 320. It requires a photo ID or driver's license with a current address in order to vote. Now, current Ohio law allows a non-photo verification like a utility bill, a paycheck, or a bank statement. Uh, The bill has been sitting around since May of this year. It was sponsored by Senator Teresa Gavarone, the Republican from Toledo. Um, So voters with an out-of-date address on their ID would cast a provisional ballot. Those ballots would not be counted until the verification of your identity is complete. So that could cause, you know, delayed results and and other things. Uh, Bill Seitz, the Republican from Cincinnati, um, we spoke to him yesterday on the editorial board, and he's actually not really fond of this. He says we really shouldn't make Ohioans get a new ID every time they move. But he also suggested exceptions to this law for Amish and others who object to having their photo taken on religious grounds, which is kind of scary. Um, you know, I understand the Amish, but others, I'm not so sure. And they also, he also says we should allow military IDs as a primary form of uh, verification. And he expects those changes to be added. And let us say that, that Bill Seitz told us yesterday that he hopes to get House Bill 294 and all these related bills through the lame duck session of Congress. The guy get pounded Congress, from the left. You know what I mean? This day, that's right. I get pounded from people on the left when I say it, but I, I, I have always tripped over why this is such a problem. I get it. There, there are people of lesser means that may not have a photo ID, and seniors in nursing homes who don't drive anymore may not have a photo ID. But a photo ID is ubiquitous in America now. You need it for everything. And my mom was in the hospital. Every time I went in there, I had to pull out my photo ID. It's it's you use it to buy liquor. You use it to do all sorts of things. And if the problem is that people in nursing homes and others don't have them, why don't we make it easier for them to get them? I just don't see the issue that that, that this is such a terrible, terrible can, thing. Can I'm I jump in, Chris? for saying that. Go ahead, Layla. Uh, the problem that I see with this bill is requiring that the driver's license or the ID has a current address mm-hmm. because 
the people in in you know lower lower uh, socioeconomic classes are transient sometimes, and I mean we see it even when we're talking about you know our special schools project. The families that we have gotten to know move so often, so every single time someone is is uprooting their family and has to move to a new residence, they have to go and get a new voter ID to maintain their their eligibility to vote, or they have to get a new you know state issued ID. There's I mean, an that easy is, fix. That's, that's a really no. big burden on people. But there, there's an easy fix for that. If you have a photo ID with an outdated address and you're going to vote in a ward that doesn't fit that address, that's when they ought to allow you to bring a utility bill. Sure, a but this seems to, to be say, this seems to be in in you know created to to disallow that. I don't see a, a provision in here that that says that's that's the fix. But we could fix it. I mean, but you could fix it. I just, there is a, among a, a sizable part of the population, just an absolute, this, this should not be required. And it's like, how many times a year do you pull out your photo ID for doing stuff that's not nearly as important as voting? And I, it's just, we've been fighting and fighting and fighting about this for years. And I, I just wonder, is this really an issue to, to draw the line in the sand? We could make this work. Um, with identity theft so prevalent, it, it does make sense to have a bona fide photo ID. But I, again, I'm going to get lots of angry email about this. I put it on subtext today. I'm sure it's already there. Laura, do you want to say something? I under, I'm with Layla. I think this can be a big problem if the address is not taken care of, right? If we don't address that, address the address. But I think more so, it's like, why are we spending our time on this? There are a lot of problems in the world, and voter fraud is not one of them. Okay. We're not going to get to all our stories today. It's Today in Ohio. The pandemic was guaranteed to be a fountain of fraud with all the relief efforts that were justifiably rushed into place to help people who were troubled at that time. It's now up to law enforcement to catch the fraudsters. What are three brothers from Euclid charged with doing, Laura? Making up fake companies to get COVID relief money, which is pretty bad when you talk about the total $7 million in small business loans and grants aimed at helping companies survive the coronavirus pandemic. Remember how bad it was at the beginning? Well, Zaur Kalantarli, Ali Kalantarli, and Aiden Kalantarov, they come created 70 fake businesses, all with the same address in Euclid. They claim to farm organic food, and then they use the money to buy houses and cars. So all three are charged with wire fraud, conspiracy, and aggravated identity theft. That identity theft because they use their wife's names for some of the businesses. And Zawur lives in Euclid. His brothers live in Los Angeles. And they created these companies like Ohio Almonds and Peanuts, LLC, and Ohio Organic Carrots between May of 2020 and October of 2020. 74 applications for loans. They got 7.4 million in CARES money. Yeah, I, it just the fraud was rampant. But what do you do to guard against the fraud? You would have had to delay the benefits. And at the point they were doling out those benefits, companies were in serious need. Companies are going out of business. People were losing their jobs. So I hope the judge takes into consideration if they're convicted and puts them in a special place in hell because they took advantage of right. the government trying you, to do something good. You wonder though, I mean, 
I understand they were sending out this money as fast as they could, but they could maybe Google the companies. I wonder how much effort they put into making them look real. For 70 companies, they all had the same address. You would think somewhere there was a flag in the system that's like, if you have more than a couple of businesses at the same address, we should look into it. I know, but it, it comes down to how many people did you have? It's a resource issue. I you know I finally got my, my Cleveland income tax refund yesterday. And what, what has struck me is, I'm not sure this is some diabolical thing to keep our money more than it is. They just don't have any people in that office, and it's taken them forever. And they have antiquated computer systems. Well, it's on paper. I don't even know that they're using a computer system. (laughs) Did they hand write you a check? No, but it, you know, donkey showed up to deliver it. It was printed on the 29th. I got it on the 5th, and it's void in 30 days. So there's kind of an issue there with how quickly it goes. And but but I think you know that was an office that was set up to largely collect forms, not process gazillions of refunds. And they haven't added people, I don't think. And so they work slow. I think it's the same thing in this case. The government had a lot of money they were trying to get into people's hands so that they would not lose jobs or lose sustenance in the pandemic. And so the controls were lax. And you know, I think we all knew, we all said there's going to be fraud and the and prosecutors are going to have to go after it, which Man, they've done 70 here. fake businesses. I think they could have gotten away with it if they had done 30. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and they God. changed the address. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> these, they, these, these were not wise criminals. I think with a little bit of smarts, people probably could get away with the fraud. I mean, think how much money went out in unemployment fraud that will never be collected right. back. It's today in Ohio. How are right-wing groups so powerful these days that they can shut down drag story hours at libraries in Ohio and elsewhere? Layla, this kind of gets back to the first discussion we had about the white supremacist supporters of Donald Trump feeling stronger because of stupid statements he makes that gives them credibility. I was actually thinking of this story when we were talking about that. These, These drag story hours are intended to be joyful, inclusive, entertaining events to help build literacy in kids and also raise money for charitable causes. And kids love them because the drag performers are far more expressive in reading stories than, you know, bookstore owners or librarians sometimes are. No (laughs) offense to them. But um, far, far right extremist groups like the Proud Boys and some group called Patriot Front and White Lives Matter Ohio have been really terrorizing them for quite some time, it seems. And now that has escalated to all-out protests at these venues that are hosting these events, intimidating them into canceling them altogether. Outside one canceled reading at the First Unitarian Universalist Church, uh, these protesters stood in ballistic vests and other combat garb, carrying military-style assault weapons, and some of them were flashing Nazi salutes to passing traffic. And then in June of this year, a man with a bullhorn tried to drown out a, a kid's show that was hosted by drag performers, calling one a pervert and accusing them of grooming and indoctrinating children. In, in August, organizers called off a Disney movie-themed drag queen story hour in the Columbus area that was supposed to raise money for the ALS Association. And a similar event that month in Cleveland was, was met with protests as well. The manager of one school announced the cancellation of their their drag story hour event after the Proud Boys said that they were going to appear there. And she said the Proud Boys' involvement created a need for security. And that caused tension between performers who wanted a police presence and an LGBTQ subset that doesn't trust local law enforcement. So that that turned into an issue. So this is just 
another part of the rising tide of antagonism toward the LGBTQ community nationwide. And like you said, it shows that brazen quality of the far right. Well, this had kind of stayed under the radar. I saw it pop up on Reddit where some people were talking about it. So we did the story about it. But I'm a little bit surprised this has, until very recently, stayed under the radar. And it, and it's horrible. I mean, it's it's basically drowning out free speech because they're they're so intimidating. I not, The things I've read haven't said much about whether they're armed when they're doing it, but I've got to presume that's part of it too. Yeah. I mean, actually, the story did say that they had military style assault weapons in some of these uh, protests. And it's that's just unconscionable to show up at an event where children are, are there to just enjoy a story. What in the world Oh, and and I know this. Donald Trump's this people. is like riding a very fine line here, but I, I'm almost sorry that they're they're being forced to cancel. I mean, if if I were like a drag performer, and I have friends who are drag queens, you know, I would go out and do it just to spite them. I think canceling it gives them exactly what they want. Of course, like I said, there's there's a there's a possibility of violence. These people are you know are not right in the head. They have guns, but I just feel like canceling is giving them just what they want. That's true. But when kids are involved, you can't be too careful. Right. Right. You can't be too careful. And in Rocky River, I think it was last year or the year before, we did have one. And there wasn't armed protesters there, but it was a big hubbub on social media. People got really angry at the library board. So this has been going on for a couple of years now, at least. A constant theme of the correspondence I get and, and discuss with people is about how people in the center are largely sitting out. The, the debates in the country. They've left the debate to the people on the fringe. And it gets to what Lisa said. If people are just going to cancel and say, I don't want the nonsense and stay home, we're basically giving it away. We're, we're giving the, the venues to the crazy people. It's exactly what Donald Trump wants. Mm-hmm. And we're playing right into it because the people of common sense, decency are not standing up and saying, get out of here. We, that's not what this country stands for. So it's ugly times. It's today in Ohio. Why do experts say this flu season is looking to be particularly bad, especially for children? Lisa, this kind of bubbled up in the past week, a big flu Yeah, scare. it certainly did. And influenza A is surging among children just as um, an early onset of RSV season is winding down. So pediatric beds locally and across the country are still near capacity. According to data from the Centers for Disease Control, hospitalizations of children are the highest in 10 years. We've had 3,000 flu deaths, including 12 children since October in the, in the USA. In Ohio, uh, the number of pediatric flu patients is up 77% for the last week of October. 75% of pediatric hospital beds are full in the state of Ohio. Uh, Dr. Frank Esper, who's a pediatric inve- infectious disease specialist at Cleveland Clinic, says about half of the kids with symptoms are testing positive for flu. He says anything over 40% is pretty concerning. And he's worried that this could be worse than the RSV, you know, uh, wave that we had in October. Um, He said, basically, this kind of boils down to us being socially distanced, masking up, staying away from people. So little kids and babies that were born during the pandemic had little exposure to respiratory viruses, which they really kind of need to kickstart their immune system. So he says that their immune systems are kind of naive at this point. So they're very susceptible to viruses. 
Well, the good news is the flu shot is dead on accurate this year. So if people get it, they're actually protected. Um, my wife is a teacher, and she said kids have been just dropping first from RSV, and now they are dropping from the flu. She's seeing it. I imagine that the Christmas season, if this is still in full flame, will spread it even further. Are you guys, Laura and Layla, are you hearing much about your school system or kids absent? Yeah, hearing that. But, um, yeah, we just continue. We vaccinated everybody to the maximum on our family and uh, hoping for the best. Vax to the max. Vax to the max. Vax to the max. That's your Christmas card logo this year. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Cleveland's Department of Health hopes to help people breathe easier. What is it doing to detect air pollutants in the city, Laura? It is creating this expanded network of monitors to focus on fine particulates and the ground level ozone that can exacerbate asthma. And of course, you know what asthma is. It inflames the airway, makes it harder to breathe. But this statistic is astounding. Eight to 10 children, eight to 10 percent of children nationally have asthma. But for areas of Cleveland, the rates approach 24 percent. I mean, that's mind boggling and really unfair because air pollution, obviously, can come from anywhere it travels. This is not point source pollution. So the US EPA awarded the Health Department of Cleveland a $500,000 grant to buy this mobile air monitoring unit that will measure the presence of fine and coarse particulates as well as that ozone. It's gonna mount on a trailer and be deployed in historically redlined areas of the city. Those areas are not covered by the health department's 14 permanent air monitoring locations around Cuyahoga County. and. I didn't realize that Cuyahoga County had a bunch of air monitors that are usually outside libraries, and they're as small as a hockey puck. That can tell you how bad the air is. My question is, say these things detect huge amounts of particulates in the air in these neighborhoods, what are they going to do? I mean, to to stop that, you'd have to go talk to things like the steel plant, and I think there's going to be a reluctance to do that. So what what they're going to do is tell people stay indoors and have an air filter instead of going at the source of the pollution? Well, I think they're going to attack it two ways. One would be, yes, let's figure out how to make this air safer in the immediate future. I don't think they're going to be like sounding an alarm that says, everybody go inside right now. The air is not safe, although who knows what they decide to do. But they say they want to use it as an impetus for setting policies and strategies to reduce hazards. So they could pass legislation. They could look at the companies that are polluting and and go after them if they're not meeting expectations and standards. What's also really interesting is researchers want to use this air quality data to conduct studies on patients to determine how environmental exposure may be affecting them long-term with cardiovascular and respiratory ailments. So that could bring in the health part of it too, in the people. And you'd have this very full set of data that researchers could look at. Come on though. If you have almost a quarter of the kids in a neighborhood with asthma, there's a problem. There. Yes. That's got to be environmental. That's not going to be genetic or biological. There's a problem in those neighborhoods. And if we find that with these monitors, it, I think it's going to be a serious call to action because that's ridiculous to have that higher rate. I completely agree. And apparently Eastlake is one of the worst areas for air quality in the region. And the emissions are not coming from that. They're coming from other places, such you know, industrial areas, the highways. And then East Poor Eastlake is the one that's getting affected. So it's not as simple as living in a neighborhood with a factory, although I'm sure that would be awful. 
It's today in Ohio, and we're only going to get to get one more. So as people are making their travel plans for Christmas, let's talk about Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. We learned something new about the guy who brought the airport to a standstill on Christmas Eve. And Lisa, it doesn't really give us confidence about the police response that no, evening. No, it doesn't. And and this is not the first time somebody's driven through the gate at Hopkins Airport either. Uh, 26-year-old Isaac Woolley allegedly accessed Hopkins' radar tower without getting caught. He was only arrested after he stole a second car two hours later and drove through the airport gates. So this is how it all kind of broke down. So on November 23rd, Woolley allegedly carjacked a woman. He drove to the Grayton Road radar tower, which is right across the street from the airport. He disabled a gate. He turned off the ground level power to the radar. He walked up eight flights of stairs in the tower and shut down a secondary power source, but he left without being noticed. Of course, the backup radar activated, so there was no issue there. But one hour later, he stole a car from a Fairview Park woman who was out of her car. Uh, she was trying to find a dog and she was injured trying to stop it. She hung on to the car as he drove off. So he crashed through the Hopkins gate again. He drove down a runway, destroyed several runway lights. He wrecked the car and then he ran through a hole in the gate and he was arrested 30 minutes later. What the stories don't really explain is what is it this guy had against the airport? And it's twice in a couple hours. He's really kind of going at the airport and damaging it. I don't quite understand it. Is is there any indication at all as to what he was Not thinking? really. We know he's a U.S. veteran. Um, his attorney uh, said that he has profound mental illness. So, And they're actually you know, talking about whether he's mentally competent to face his charges. So that's kind of where this, where this information came from, was a filing from the federal prosecutors. Yeah, I just, I get back to the people in the airport that night. They must have been fuming the airport shutting down on Thanksgiving Eve. Let's hope there's not a repeat on the Christmas holiday. It's today in Ohio. That closes out a Tuesday discussion. Thanks, Lisa, Layla, and Laura. Thanks, everybody who listens. We will return on Wednesday with another discussion of the news. 